0: Good morning, church family. It's great to be here with you this morning. Our scripture this morning is found in Acts 4, 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Thanks,
1: Taylor. Well, good morning. Thank you, Taylor, for reading the passage. We're delighted to be able to be here. Kathy and I have been here one time before. We sat right there. Uh, Hope you guys are enjoying our seats, but uh, we are delighted to be here. Uh, They know that I'm not too bright, so they had, Taylor's first and then Taylor's reading. That way I don't have to remember a whole lot. It worked out pretty well. But Kathy and I are are just enjoying the the fellowship of this place Uh, after 37 plus years of Providence in Raleigh and having had uh, honors of being able to share in the ministry of the Word all these years. It's always great to be back in the pulpit. Now, for the good news for you, even though I've been retired from being the lead pastor of Providence for three years, today is not like a pent-up sermon. So you're gonna be here till four o'clock in the afternoon. Well we'll stay within the time frame. Uh, you'll be out of here by 1.30 at the latest, so it'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. No, but let's let's look together at this word. Uh, you've been reading through the scriptures together. F two sixty at it right this time, and so you would have read Acts chapter 4 during this past week. Now, uh, being able to be a part of the series is wonderful, and so I get to preach this passage today uh, as we look and see how God uses this in our context. Now, I didn't say at the first service, but I'll say here, next week, I'm not being as good a boy because I'm not going to stay in that same series. You still need to read the passages, all right? It's not a week off. You still read the passages, but if you will add to it Colossians 3. This week. Remember that? It's in the Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. It's right in that section. So if you'll read Colossians 3, we're going to talk about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts next Sunday. So I want to go ahead and give you advance notice so you can be praying that God would allow us to, to look at that together. Now back to this passage. Kathy's saying, My tie is crooked. <laughs> when you marry well, it's a blessed thing. Yeah yeah as opposed to going like yeah zip up your pants so that's better that's better of course I could have gotten that impression when she was doing this so okay (laughs) we're good Own it in front of everybody. That's what I say. So anyway, the passage that we're looking at this morning, back to embarrassing moments, uh, not embarrassing at all, Peter and John had just been a part of an incredible healing in chapter 3. You read that this past week. And as they are brought before the chief leaders of Israel, they have been threatened within an inch of their life if they keep preaching in the name of Jesus. And they told them, he said, look, you are not to do this. They kept them overnight in prison. And then the next day, he said, you do not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. You got that? Is that clear? And Peter and John responded amazingly. They said, look, whether you in your mind think it's right for us to listen to you instead of God, that's your business. But as far as we're concerned, we cannot keep from proclaiming what we have seen and heard. And then the elders and the leaders said, we're not sure what else to do with these guys. We've got to let them go. And so they leave custody of the elders and go back to the church family. When they arrive at the church family, we get to the passage that Taylor read just a moment ago. They come in, report to them everything that has been said, and then they have a meeting, but not the kind of meeting we're used to in the 21st century. When we find that there's a threat or when we find that there's something that goes wrong and we find that there's an issue we need to confront, we meet together, but then we start sharing our ignorance about how we're going to fix the problem. We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk and we appoint committees and we send this group out and we send that group out and get reports and come back and bring it together. They met together after they heard what the threats were and immediately they went to prayer. Now, we're going to look at that this morning and see what they prayed, what impact that has on the way we as a church pray, and how that impacts what our expectations are for what God is going to do in the years ahead. So let's pray right now and ask God to speak to us. Father, when we come to you, there is a deep sense of profound gratitude that when we're talking to you about a need or a challenge or even a threat like these men were facing, Nothing is impossible for you, and through Christ, we have already gained the victory that needs to then be appropriated in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And so, Lord, we ask you, in this place, with these friends this day, may this passage, which has been such an encouragement to the body of Christ and a challenge to us all through these centuries, may it speak with a fresh new way for us during our time together this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I, I begin by just asking, does it seem to you that, that the church is losing the battle for the soul of the nation? We, we seem to be sliding from the place of prominence that God would desire for the bride of Christ, the, the body of Christ, the church of the risen Savior. We seem to be sliding back, and our influence for good is waning, As many churches as there are in every city, there seems to be that there would be more impact with the salt and light of the gospel in the nature of the way the church has an impact on the way businesses do business, the way government leaders govern, the way people live lives of purity and holiness. The way that we pray, the way that we worship, there would seem to be that there would be a greater impact than that, and in many respects, what has happened is that the church has become almost in irrelevance. We meet together. We have our celebrations. We have our, our great times of, of worship gatherings and, and our, our conferences and our, and our ideas of what it means for us to be the people effectively doing the work that God's given us to do, and yet we seem to have less and less impact. Why? What is happening? Why are these things not as they should be, according to the scriptures? Well, I think the answer in this passage seems to be that one piece of that, a piece that we cannot ignore, is that these were the people of prayer. So we're the people of prayer. Good. we We want to be. but but what are we praying? And how are we praying? And what difference is our praying making in terms of how we view the world? You're as likely to hear Christians putting posts up on Facebook that are cynical, skeptical, hard-nosed, complaining around, uh, about what's going on in the world than you are to hear Christians saying, but there is hope in Jesus. Jesus is still on the throne. The sovereign Lord is still reigning forever and ever. That's where this passage takes us. And so what we want to think about as a church moving forward in the days and years and months to come, we want to be able to think through how do we position ourselves, Lord, in prayer, and how do we position ourselves in terms of our leadership that we are actually thinking, believing, and trusting, God, that you will make us effectively bolder in impacting the culture for Christ. How will we set our goals and our priorities and dream dreams and envision visions that are big enough for you, God, to work in them, that are big enough that they can only be reached from our knees? And that's where we come to the passage this morning. You knew I'd get there, right? You trusted me. All right, well, let's look at it together uh, as we see what God has to say here, because there is a barrier that has been erected, at least in theory. And the the leaders of of Israel, the the Pharisees, Sadducees, the chief priests, the elders, they seem to think that somehow or another their word is going to carry the day. And I love Peter and John just going like, you think? (laughs) I don't believe so. You decide for yourself whether you think it's going to be something that carries the day that we believe you and trust you and do what you say rather than what God called us. I don't think so. And so they go back to their people, and here's what happens. When they gather together with the people and they explain them what's happened, they move immediately to prayer, and they pray, starting right out of the blocks, that this type of challenge and this type of threat, the kind of thing we were just singing about in in the song a while ago, Kevin, that's awesome, just in terms of what happens when that sort of thing's going. We may be in the valley of the shadow of death, but we're not afraid. We may be in a culture that is going sideways or backwards, but we're not in any way cast down. Why? Because the sovereign Lord is on the throne. And so in the, in the verse that we're seeing here in verse 24, they heard the news, they lifted their voices together to God, and they start off by saying, O oh, sovereign Lord, O oh, sovereign God, you're the one who made the heaven and the earth and sea and everything in them. And then their prayer goes on from there. What are they starting to pray? They're saying, Lord, in every generation, there are going to be people like us facing challenges, living counterculturally, who are facing all kinds of obstacles. And our prayer to start with is that these barriers that are put in front of us will not block the way of the living God, but they will be catapults to boost the work of God. That's what we're praying. You ever thought of that way? Instead of these things being The kinds of things that block the way, they are the things that are actually propelling us forward to go stronger after the Lord. It seems that all through church history, the times when the church has expanded the most, impacted cultures the most, had the greatest impact evangelistically is not during times of prosperity for the church. But they've been in times when we have been under persecution, when we've been threatened, when we've been challenged, and when barriers have been put in front of us. For then we know that when we don't know what to do, we know what to do right? And what is it? Pray. Sovereign Lord. Now, all the pitfalls, notwithstanding, we we recognize and we're not naive. We don't have this misconceived idea that that this is not really a problem. These guys had the power and the authority. They're the ones who instigated the crucifixion of the Savior. So let's not misunderstand. It's not like these guys didn't have power to act. No, there's always going to be discouragements for us in ministry, We've tried a lot of stuff that failed. A lot of people think, well, we tried that before, and we're never going to do that again. That's, we're not going that way. No, no, that's not the way we live. We're not discouraged from our failures. We, we learn from them. and We move on. We, we find that we're making progress, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of delays, and we begin to question ourselves. Lord, is this really your will, and is this really what you want, or are there distractions from the primary focus? It's like God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for the life of this church. You, you, you may think that you're going, but this is what I want you to do. And, and there needs to be this resolve, this, this firm conviction. No, thus saith the Lord, we walk in this way that he has given us. And then when we stop walking in this way and get distracted, what happens is that we get away from the streams of living water. And then dryness begins to sap the strength and vitality out of our souls. And we begin to go through the mundaneness of ministry rather than the excitement of trusting in God. And we watch these things again and again, sucking the lifeblood out of the life of the body of Christ. And I don't know how it works in Taylor, but I know how it works in Raleigh. And I do know that there is something in the Scripture here that we cannot miss, that this is going to be true of churches in every culture and every age. These kinds of barriers will continue to present themselves. But what did they do? Instead of rehearsing the threats, they told them what went on. But instead of talking all about that and how they could be protected from all that, they began by gaining the perspective of God's sovereignty. Lord, sovereign Lord, the God who made the heavens and the earth and all that in them dwells. Lord, you're hearing what we're hearing, that these people are threatening your work through your people. Oh, God, protect us. Somebody might hurt us. Somebody might speak ill of us. Somebody might post something negative on Facebook about us. Lord, you know, persecution is horrible. No, that's not what they prayed. Sovereign God, you are the one who did all this. We are not even in the least concerned that you're still not reigning on your throne. And therefore, to gain the perspective of your sovereignty is to declare what 1 Samuel talks about in chapter 17. Lord, This battle is not ours. It's, it's the Lord's. We're not supposed to win this. We're not supposed to prevail. It is the power of Christ that prevails. Therefore, we need to activate the power of Christ by engaging you in faithful prayer that this barrier, like many others, will fall before the sovereign God. And then he goes on to say, now... They thought they had won the battle when they crucified your son, Jesus. These same folks who are making these threats against us, they're the ones who effectively crucified your son. And the culture looks at that and they're thinking, see, Jesus even lost. Jesus did not lose. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, what they did, they did whatever your hand and your plan as the sovereign God had predestined to take place. They didn't pull anything off on anybody. They were just doing what was necessary for the will of God to be accomplished and that the Savior was going to give his life as a ransom for sinners in every age. So God, with that perspective, you are the sovereign Lord. And therefore, we pray that this barrier will not block the way of your people having an impact for your glory in all the earth, beginning right here in Jerusalem. What a great picture. Now, as they're praying, don't you think that there's some in the group? You know there's always some in the group, right? And who are praying, God, I hear what they're saying, but if you could just protect me and my family, just don't let those mean people come after us. Lord, if you could just hide us, keep us secretly doing our work underground. If you could just maybe not have anybody beat up on us. I mean, I don't really like getting beat up. God, protect us. That's not what they prayed at all. That would be to settle in and to find that maintenance of just the status quo is really the goal of this praying. That's not the picture at all. But, Lord, our church has been here how, how old is Taylor's first Baptist? 154 years? That's almost enough to get a good start, right? 154 years? There should be, in this church, as in our church, which hits its 40th anniversary next weekend, there should be that sense in which, Lord, we're not remotely interested in maintaining the status quo. We're, we're not impacting the culture enough to say that this is Okay. We're not seeing enough people come to Christ to feel like this is the right place. Let's settle here. No, this is not a time for praying about maintenance, and that's not what they did. They began to pray for increased vision. (laughs) That's an incredible thing. Lord, here's what we want. Look upon their threats. We're We're not naive. We're not pretending that they didn't threaten. They don't have the power to do something with that. But look upon their threats, and once you see their threats, Lord, Help us be protected from them. No, no. Look upon their threats, and then, God, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's what we want. Not maintenance, movement. not just gentle movement, but an increase of our vision so that we're all in for Christ all the time and nothing will stop us from doing what you've called us to do. Lord, we expect as we pray for you to make us bolder in what we're willing to say about Christ and proclaim his message of the gospel. Lord, in verse 30, it says, we want you to stretch out your hand and what you've done in the past, let it be just sort of the the threshold to a new age of what you're going to do in the days ahead. Let us not look back to the days that we in the church used to, but Lord, may this be a threshold. Extend your hand, stretch it out, and do powerful things that, that we have not even conceived or thought in our minds were possible here. In a lot of older churches, there's this idea that, oh, I remember the golden days, back when God used to be God. What? Isn't he still God? Isn't he still on the throne? Doesn't he still enter prayer? Isn't Jesus still Lord? Yes. So they said, Lord, increase our vision. Let the word, the message that we bring to you, not be in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's what Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians. He says, this is what we want to see happen. Increase our vision. Stretch your hand out, God. Do more and more powerful things. Expect those things that can only be explained because you, by your sovereign hand, did them. Let there be nothing about Taylor's first that can be explained by the staff or the deacons or the life and Sunday school class teachers and, and the, the skills and the, the great abilities of, of the people who are here, the, the great amassing of, of giftedness and, and accomplishment. Lord, may it not ever be explained by that. Now that helps, right? Unless it gets in the way of trusting God. They're praying, Lord... Extend your hand. Go beyond what we can claim as having come from our own accomplishments. Let it be only explained because your spirit did these things in your way, and no one but Jesus gets the glory. Wow. That's the way to pray. And so they're praying, God, increase our vision. And Lord, encourage us by this expanded vision to go ahead and, and dream some big things. And Lord, may we excite, excite the people around us by, we, by thinking about these things and, and dreaming big dreams that are big enough for God Himself to get involved in. And realize that from God's perspective, there's really nothing impossible. Amazing picture. I'm reminded of a passage back in there, Isaiah 38. And lest you be mistaken, I'm not reminded right now. I'm reminded from when I was preparing the sermon. So it's not like, oh, I just had an idea. No, in Isaiah 38, Hezekiah had just had a season of great effectiveness as king. And then Isaiah, the prophet, comes to Hezekiah and says, "Uh, buddy, um, here's the deal. I don't know if prophets call kings buddies, but he comes to him and says, you're going to die. It's over. God has spoken. He's told me the prophet to come tell you you're going to die. And Hezekiah says, goes to his bed, turns his face to the wall, and begins to cry out to God, don't let it happen. God, please, don't let me die. There's so much that, that could be done. Lord, This I just don't want to do that. Lord, please don't let me die. And God then spoke to Isaiah and said, tell him he's got 15 more years. Okay, now, depending on how old you are, that's good news or bad news. <laughs> I'm 15, and God said I got 15 more. That's not good news. But when you when you get a birth certificate that doesn't have an expiration date on it, and now God just says you got 15. Let's go. What do you do with those 15 years? I mean, at year 12, you can step out in front of a bus and you're not going to die because you got 15. No, there weren't buses back then. So, but what is it that he's thinking? I've been given an opportunity to make every day for the next 15 count for the glory of God. That's not the way he lived. And he made some incredibly foolish mistakes over the next little while. To the extent that God came to him later on and said, you know what, because you have not been faithful, uh, I'm going to keep my promise and you're going to live 15, but as soon as you're gone, I mean... it's over. We're taking this all out of your, your family's hands. The kingdom will not pass on to your people. It will be exiled for the people, and it's over. And you know what Hezekiah's response was? So it's not going to happen in my lifetime? No. Okay, I'm good with that. What? It's not going to and So the church today cannot be thinking, well, we've got ours. I've got my five-year plan. I've got my 10-year plan. I've got my 15-year plan. So my vision doesn't have to increase. I can just live it out the way it's been given to me, and I'll be fine. What about the next generation? I'll be gone. Who cares? No. God, increase the vision so that we're encouraged to dream big dreams, to, to envision that God has a plan for his church that can be enacted today among us. And that's what this passage tells us. This is how we're supposed to think about it. We, we need to have a vision big enough for God to get involved with. We need to sort out our motives so that we're investigating ourselves to make sure that we're not dreaming that this is for us, but it's for the glory of God and the good of the next generation to come. We need to make sure that we're getting to the place where we're guarding biblical principles and the integrity of that dream so that we never compromise principle to achieve success. We're not going to do that. We're going to build an effective organization. We're going to equip the leaders. We're going to institute the plan. We're going to go hard at it, but all bathed in the kind of praying that took place when Peter and John got back from the time of threat. Lord, not that you would maintain us. God forbid that we just maintain. Lord, may we be moving with increased vision, but not just increased vision. We want increased vitality as well. We want to be alive. We want to be passionate and not dream of a time that once was, but the time that is today and will get greater tomorrow. And therefore, we have to recognize that if a church is inclined toward maintenance thinking, it's going to be very careful. Careful about every decision. Can we afford that? Should we do that? What will people think of us? What would they, you know? And, and when we come to worship, we, we begin to kind of hedge our bets. It was so refreshing while I go to, to see the congregation worshiping together and, and doing that. And, and, but in some places, you've been there where the people on the platform are worshiping, the people in the congregation are kind of going, we're going to die of worship. Because <laughs> it's not infused with the power of the Spirit. And so, so people are careful about all kinds of stuff. It's not a picture of of a church that's exciting and growing. It lacks vision or has set aside its true vision. It sets low goals, and it applauds any time when we meet those low goals. It gets satisfied with itself. Look at what we've got. We've done it. And then there's no joy. We try to manufacture it, but it's not deep-seated joy born out of gratitude that is birthed in a context of really getting and understanding grace. No, maintenance churches, that's not what he's calling us for. That's not what these guys represent. They're representing a totally different kind of congregation that we in the 21st century aspire to become. A praying church that is characterized by movement. What does that movement look like? If you just walk through the passage and see verse 29, that we would have all confidence. Verse 30, uh, that we would have a vision from God, a joy from the Lord. 31, that we would be bolder than ever before. 32, that we've got an incredible unity. Verse 33, that we've got power from on high. Verse 33, also abundant grace pouring out upon us all. That's the way to pray. We have a prayer meeting and poor old ain't say these ingrown toenails been prayed for a long time. You know, we have organ recitals instead of prayer meetings. Oh, well, I got this liver problem. I got a heart problem. I got a kidney problem. It's a nice, we go through the organ. And everybody says, well, they need prayer. Well, of course they do. And we should keep praying for them. But where is this kind of praying? God, we're not settling anymore to be maintenance churches. We're going to be a moving church. Now, The problem is that frequently we don't distinguish very well between churches that are settling and churches that are shaking. Look at verse 31. What happened after they had prayed? When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. All right, now, I'm not calling down an earthquake on this place today. (laughs) But what would you do if this house started shaking today? First of all, you'd be thinking, I didn't join that kind of church. I'm getting out of here. You know, next thing you know, there's going to be some snakes involved, and I'm just not going to be a part of that. No. Here's, here's the difference. Settling houses, well... Let me picture a settling house. When I was a kid, about eight or nine years old, maybe even 10, I went to spend the night down at my great-grandma's farmhouse down in the country. When I say down in the country, you go to the end of the road, and then you can see it from there. I mean, it's out in the boonies, farmland. And the house that my great-grandmother was living in, she was still alive, and we stayed stayed there with her, uh, had been built in the latter part of the 19th century. So it was an old house, tin roof. And I was a little boy, sent up to bed, And, of course, with the tin roof, what's going to happen the night I'm spending the night? It's going to rain. Yeah. So you hear this little percussion thing going on. I'm not used to percussion when I'm getting ready to go to sleep. You know, we didn't have earphones back then, so I didn't have that putting me to sleep at night. I I just hear this pitter-patter of the raindrops on this tin roof. And, okay, after a while, I'm getting used to that. It's not putting me to sleep. As an old guy, it would put me to sleep. I'd love it. But as a little boy, I'm not sure what that is. And then I start hearing, My brother's not in this room. What's that noise? And then I hear another little rumble noise. And then I hear another creak. And then I hear another little thing. Uh, It didn't take long. I was hauling it down the steps. To my parents, uh, nope, they weren't there. To my great-grandma, come on. you know She's not going to be much help. I'm not looking to her. So I'm finding anybody downstairs I can talk to. And I I found an uncle. And and I I said, what's going on? What's okay? This noise. This is horrible noise. This is in the daylight I What is up in that attic? He's going, "Oh, son, come here. That's just the house settling. It's just the, the beams and the floorboards and everything else just sort of settling. It's just not. It, it doesn't mean anything. I'm going. This house is over 80 years old. It should have already settled, okay? <laughs> but it, but I'm I'm hearing all this, and I said, "Well, what does it all mean? It doesn't mean a thing. A lot of noise." means nothing. And I've thought about that since. Isn't that the way it is with a lot of churches? A lot of noise, a lot of mumbling and rumbling and creaking and groaning. What does it mean? Not a blooming thing. Nothing's happening. It's just settling in, getting comfortable. Now, when they prayed, the house started shaking. And what do you do when your house starts shaking? You get out of it. (laughs) You're not going to stick around and find out, wonder if that beam will fall on my head. No, you want to get out of the house. The walls are rumbling. And I I haven't been in a a full earthquake. I've been in one where there was a little rumbling, but not a lot. But I can imagine that if I'm in a place that starts shaking, I don't want to stay inside. God wants to shake up the church so we finally get it that it's not just what happens here. When we're gathered, it's what happens when we're gathered to be equipped and empowered and then sent out of here. That's when it matters. And so shaken houses result in an effective communication of God's design and his plan of salvation and world ruling power over the world he created. That's when the church begins to be the church. If we're comfortable just settling in, maintaining, keeping the status quo just like we've always had it, and don't have a vision that's big enough for God to get involved, it will be the death of our testimony. We will no longer impact the culture as salt and light. We will not have anything that we can say to the world out there about how Jesus changed my life and I walked out of that grave. Because they're going to say, you don't look any different than I do. And there's no testimony that you have that I couldn't give as an unbeliever. God forbid that that would be our testimony. And so here we have them, a church that is now united in spirit. They're united in vision. They're united in prayer. And they are beginning to set a bar that every church since has been trying to get over. They are setting goals, priorities, and envisioning their future. In ways that they can only reach them from their knees. Are you willing to do that? That's what Acts 4 is telling us. We as the body of Christ in our day need to be willing to set those goals, those priorities, and that vision in such a way that we could never explain it success. Never be able to explain it success on the collective wisdom and abilities of the people who make up this congregation. It is of God, or it has no eternal value. That's what they're living out. And say, well, I don't know if that's possible anymore in our day. Has God changed? Is he still the sovereign Lord? And can we still approach him in the name of Jesus, his holy servant, Jesus? And he says, here's the response. Paul gave it to us in one verse in 2 Corinthians nine eight. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. That's a bunch of all's, every's, and everything's all in one verse. And he says, God is able to do all of that. Why? Because he is looking at his bride and he wants us to impact the world for the glory of his son. And as we're reading this passage, I'm just a guest here. But you as a congregation have the privilege of being able to embrace this as God's charge to you. You've been reading it? Go in deeper and see, Lord, what would you do in me to let this have an impact in my life? And Lord, what would you do at Taylor's First to begin to impact our congregation so that we're no longer bound by barriers but we are propelled, boosted to go do something else. Lord, we're no longer willing to maintain. We wanna be involved in moving. And Lord, we are not gonna be a settling place that makes a lot of noise with a lot of activity, but has nothing to show for it. We wanna be a church that's involved in being shaken instead of settled. Then God will be able to get the glory. And this city and this state and this nation will feel the repercussions if his people will come together to pray in this way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we don't know how to do this well. And Lord, when we think we've done well, we, we realize later on that there's still so much we have to learn. That's why it's so refreshing to be back in your Word again and again and again and to find the, the reality of your Spirit working in churches all through the New Testament, failing miserably and then rising up by the power of your Spirit to exalt your Son teaching and preaching and holding out the truth of your word as, as relevant not only just in those days, but also very personally applicable in the life of each individual here and in this church and others like it. And so, Father, we would pray that you would awaken in this place a desire. It begins with that holy, pure passion, a desire to love you with all that we are. And to commit, to demonstrate that love in the way we are willing to obey you, keep your commandments, and walk in the fullness of your ways. Lord, this passage tells us as a part of that walking in your ways, you want us to be a people who are willing to pray until something happens and not back off until it does. Lord, we love you pray for this church, pray for ours back home, pray for churches of like-minded faith and practice throughout this city, this community, this nation. Lord, may Christ, in the midst of a nation that is as divided as I've ever seen it, may we gather together in unity of spirit at the foot of the cross and cry, O sovereign Lord, these threats are nothing to you when Jesus is on the throne.
0: May we live that way in Christ's name, amen.